Bible nearby, let's turn together to the book of Micah, chapter 6. If you don't have one, that's, that's fine. We'll, we're going to put the verses on the screen, and there's one maybe in the, in the pew right in front of you, and you're welcome to take that if you want. We started kind of walking through, uh, really, the, the eighth verse here in the sixth chapter <clears throat> last Sunday, and uh, and. I really feel like the like the songs for tonight really have set us up uh, to kind of, I guess, jump right into the heart of of what is going on here. Um, if you look at the three songs that, that we've you know worshipped to together so far, uh, we talk about the the freedom of the freedom that comes with the the presence of the Lord and uh, just the liberty that is ours because of Him. Uh, and him just being all all that we could want or need, and he has made himself available to us. Uh, that that Jesus, that that invitation that Jesus offers to us to come to him uh, when we're weary, heavy laden, whatever is going on, that that stays open, and uh, just the freedom that we have in him, uh, and to go into the the victory over sin and death that uh, that comes with Easter and just the. Just the glory, just what a beautiful Savior Jesus is. Um, this text is, is kind of getting into that same idea of just how do you re- even respond to this, to this kind of goodness, you know. Um, you look at, at who God is and, and what He's done and, and the, what He continues to do. And, and when, you, when we, we see Him for who He really is, I mean, what's the, what's the logical response to that? What are you even supposed to do in light of that? Um, and so here in the Old Testament, in this, in this little book, um, they're kind of in the same situation. And so we're just kind of walking through this a little bit. Last week, um, we began. So this week, we continue. Uh, if you look at verse 8, this is, you know, Mike is getting right to the heart of it. He's like, okay, um, God's told you exactly what your response should be to him. He's already, he's already let you know this. And so what Micah is doing here, he's not unveiling something that's brand new. He's really pointing them back to something very, very old, and then goes back to the beginnings. Um, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That that's, what, that's what God wants in response. Um, the things we've been singing about, uh, that's what He desires from us. He desires um, for us to... To, re- to respond to, him, to all that He has done and the fact that He has kept His covenant with us by bringing justice into the world, um, by, um, by loving kindness, which we'll talk about tonight, and by walking humbly with Him. And so we're kind of doing a three-week deal here. And so, um, so I want us to look at that where it says to love kindness. Uh, different translations will say different things, and that's because uh, there's, there's this Hebrew word at the, at the core and there are different ways to, to take that Hebrew concept and bring it into English. Um, sometimes, it, it, sometimes you'll see uh, in, in the English translation, it'll say steadfast love. 
Um, that God is abounding in steadfast love. Uh, sometimes it'll say uh, his, his covenant faithfulness. Sometimes you'll see loving kindness, you know, with the hyphen in there. Sometimes it's love kindness, like we have here. Uh, the, what's, what happens is, really, English is just kind of a, kind of a like, weak language compared to Hebrew, honestly. And so, um, when, when, in Hebrew, like one word, it's so, it has so much depth and it's so complex that it, it really it takes paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs to explain this one word, then you know like English, we're the ones with the problem. It's not Hebrew at all. Uh, and so um, that's why you get different translations because there's just different nuances that different translators decide to bring out of it. Um, but the, the, word, the word for love kindness or steadfast love or covenant faithfulness or whatever you know, different translations will say, the Hebrew word, is uh, it's in English you would spell it H E S E D, uh, Hesed, or it's probably like Chesed or something like that. But I'm not very good at that. Uh, I have a cold too, so you don't want me doing any gutturals uh, today. Um, <clears throat> but that word Hesed uh, is it's really it's one of the most important words in the entire Hebrew language for us to understand. Um, it's it's a word that um, that describes God's relationship to those that he is in covenant with. Describes how he relates to uh, the, the Israelites. It, it describes how he relates to you and to me. Um, in the New Testament, the, the, the kind of New Testament equivalent would be agape. Um, but hesed is, is one that it's all throughout the Old Testament. You, we see it all over the place. Um, and so um, it's in the context of a relationship with, with God and man, and also with man to man. And so this word, uh, like as we talk about it tonight, we need to think of it in, in both senses. It's, it's vertical, okay? It's God, it's God, it's the way that He loves us and the way that we love Him. It's also the way that we love each other, so it's horizontal as well. And so it starts vertical and then goes to horizontal, and that's how life is set up to work. Um, but this, this word, this incredibly deep, incredibly uh, meaningful word, is one that God uses all throughout the scriptures to say, this, this is what my relation, this is how I relate to you. This is what our relationship looks like. Um, uh, I d- was doing some uh, research on it, and um, there's really f- kind of four different, different uh, things that should come to mind when we hear this word. Uh, so let me give you these four real quick. The first one is kindness. The second one is love. The third one is loyalty. The fourth one is mercy. Kindness, love, loyalty, mercy. That that one word has said should bring all those things uh, to mind. Um, for, for kindness, I mean, when you think about kindness, it's, it, is, it is what you think it is. I mean, it's, there's a tenderness. There's a care. You know, there's a... There's that 23rd Psalm, you know, that kindness to the way that God loves and cares for those he's in covenant with. Um, and so kindness is a part of what, what we think of. Uh, love is, is the second one that you think of. In that, in that true sense, like if you, if you go to the Greek word, if you go to agape, this, the, a love that, um, that is about the, uh, like someone else's needs ahead of your own. It's always putting, putting the, the one that you love ahead of your own. Uh, and so, 
So we would say, like you look at Jesus and the fact that like, he loved us and he loved the Father um, more than he loved his own personal safety. So he went and was crucified, like we've been singing about tonight. The, the victory that he won came at a great, at just an insanely high price. And so, um, but that was him putting the Father and putting all of us ahead of himself. That's, it's that kind of love. It's not like, oh, you know, I, I love apple pie or I love LSU baseball or whatever. It's like that kind of love. Like, would you die for apple pie? No, you would not. Would you die for LSU baseball? No, you would not. Um, it's it's that, that kind of love. Um, so kindness, agape love. Um, the, the third one, loyalty. Um, I mean, it's exactly what it says it is. I mean, there is a, like, I will not break this covenant kind of attitude with this word. Like, I said that I would do this, and I mean it, you know. Um, and, and, but a loyalty, not just, not, not like, I, well, I'm obligated, I said I would, so I'll have to. It's, it's the kind of loyalty where, like, you love, you love the one you've committed to so much that, that that loyalty is just natural. You don't have to muster it up. You don't have to convince yourself or remind yourself. You're just naturally loyal to those that you love. It's that steadfast aspect uh, of this. Um, and then the fourth word, mercy. Uh, whenever we hear mercy, we should think we should think about people who are like who are in distress or some kind of misery. You know, um, mercy is when when you reach into someone else's pain. It's the goodness of God displayed to those who are just flipping out. And I don't mean like some like irrational, you know, kind of. I'm talking about like deeply troubled, hurting people, people who are grieving loss, uh, whether that's death, whether that's divorce, whether that's just the end of different kinds of relationships, whether it's the loss of a job, um, people who are, are facing financial difficulties that are just out of this world, people who are um, just broken over the relationships that they, of those closest to them and how they're just falling apart. And I mean, just when people are in agony and they're miserable, uh, and they're just struggling in the kind where the world tends to be like, whoa, I, I don't know what to say here, so I'm just not even going to mess with it. Mercy runs, runs into the pain and uh, is not afraid to, um, to get in there and to respond and to care for those who are hurting. And so that's another thing that this, this word brings up. It's like no matter what you face, no matter what difficulty or struggles you go through, like I'm... I'm not only with you, like I'm, I'm more, more invested than you even realize. Uh, and so, so you kind of press all that stuff together when that one word has said uh, is, is, like comes up in Scripture, all like those kinds of things kind of come with it. Um, I think the, probably the closest that we would understand would be, would be uh, the commitment between a husband and wife. Um, it's probably why God says, well, the deepest meaning of marriage is Christ and the church because that's that covenant relationship that's there. Um, and so, you know, anybody that's been married for more than like two weeks will tell you that it's not about like the romance and like all the, all the like romantic comedy, all the movies and all Jane Austen and all that kind of stuff. It's not about those kinds of things. Like marriage is like, no, it's about this kind of stuff. It's about kindness. And it's about love that puts your, your spouse ahead of you. And it's about loyalty and being there, and it's about mercy, and not being afraid to, uh, when your spouse is hurting, that you're right there with them. It's about that, those kinds of things. And so, has said it has this, um, this, 
like that kind of context. Like I'm in it till the end, and there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to cause me to break this covenant. That's what said is saying. And so God applies that to how he loves Israel and how he wants Israel to love him. And we as Christians, we're grafted into that, and so that's how he loves us and wants us to love him in return. And then he wants us to love one another that way. That's, that's everything that's going on with this one word. And so, so you go back to, to verse 8. It says, He's told you what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to said. All that stuff. That's what God wants. That's what he requires. So let's back up. Go back to verse 1. To bring a little context. Verse 1 says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the, he- the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Okay, so... Um, this is, this is kind, of a, kind of like a courtroom type of setting. And um, uh, you know, maybe not like you know, we see on TV and stuff like that, but that, this is what's happening. There's an indictment being brought, and God is calling witnesses, and his witnesses are mountains. <laughs> That's why God's awesome. He's like, I don't need to call some person, make them lay a hand on a Bible. I'll just call them mountains. Because who, who's seen more of God's faithfulness than the mountains? Yeah. Nobody. Talk to the hills. They're the ones who have watched the faithfulness of God unfold for years and years and years and years. They've, they were here before, before these people that he was talking to, and they will be here long after that. And so, so God is bringing this indictment, this accusation against his people because um, they, had, they had not been faithful to the covenant. And so he's calling them to the table and saying, all right, what's, what's the deal? Let's, de- let's deal with this right now. Um, and so he's about to basically say, tell me, tell me what I've done that's been so terrible, that's made you break the covenant. So you can kind of think of uh, God as the husband and Israel as the wife. And it, Israel's been re- rebellious and stubborn and whatever, and, and God has been the perfect husband. And so there, he's called this meeting with all his witnesses. He's like, look, I'm tired of this. Tell me, tell me what I've done. Look at verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. That word wearied, uh, that's the idea of, of like when, like maybe you see on you know, TV or movie or something like that, you have a, you have a character who's just, just nagging the heck out of somebody, just wearing them down and wearing them down and wearing them down. There's this this person that they're 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 just burdening everyone around them all the time. That's that that's the connotation there. He's like, what have I done? How have I nagged you to the point of rebellion? What have I done that's just worn you down to the point like where you're just like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Tell me how. Like, what have I done as as a husband to you? What have I done that is so incredibly awful? Verse 4. This is him pleading his, his case. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. 
O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now here's, here's this is the brilliance of Jesus as, I mean of God, or whatever. Uh, God as the, um, um, the brilliance of his argument is that he doesn't have to go in, he doesn't have to like call all these witnesses and present all these, all these documents and all this evidence and all this kind of stuff. He just has to rattle off like a couple of things. And the, you know, the Jewish community was, you know, you didn't have to, um, for, like, you know, I've said this before, like you wouldn't have to quote an entire passage of Scripture, you just say a part of it, and the whole thing would come to mind. Um, and so for them, you just had to say certain things. It's kind of like with us, where, you know, I don't have to explain 9-11, I just have to reference 9-11, and everybody's there. Like, everybody, we get it, you know. It's kind of like that. But they knew their history so well, that all he had to do was just mention, Balaam, and uh, uh, from Shittim to Gilgal, and uh, bringing them out of Egypt. Like, he just kind of gives this synopsis of their history. And it's interesting, because he takes them basically from enslavement to the promised land. And those two verses. He references when they were in bondage, then he gave them Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So he gave them a prophet in Moses, and a prophetess in Miriam, gave them a priest in Aaron. So he gave them leadership, and he gave them especially, especially Aaron, who was able to represent the people before God. He had established this relationship. So he had, he had provided freedom. He provided leadership. Uh, verse 5, um, the whole Balak, Balaam thing, you have to go back and read it. It's like three chapters long. It's pretty interesting. But basically someone tried to bring um, uh, evil against his people, and God stepped in and was like, you, you can't touch my people. So he brings that up. Like, remember that time someone tried to like basically just curse us all, and I was like, "No, you ain't having that." Um, and then from Shittim to Gilgal, that's when they crossed the Jordan. In Shittim, they broke the covenant. In uh, Gilgal, the covenant was renewed. There was restoration, and there was forgiveness, and and there's this miracle of the crossing, and that's when they entered into the promised land. And so he just pretty much was like, "Okay, tell me what I've done to wear you out," and then he just lays it out there, like all these perfect examples of how he was pretty much like the best husband ever. It says, I made a covenant with you, and because, of, because that covenant is a covenant of hesed, I've been kind, and I've loved you, and I've been loyal, and there's been an incredible amount of mercy when you're in distress. You tell me, tell me what I've done. And you have no response to that. It's really not all that different than when we come into here uh, or you come into any sort of gathering or maybe community group or maybe when you, you and the Lord and you sit down with your Bible and like maybe there's just th- things have been all weird and stuff like that and you start to read who he is and what he's done and you're like, oh yeah, he's the faithful covenant keeper. And everything just gets put right in perspective. And so when Micah transitions, it's interesting because there isn't like a big response, you know. Verse 6, he says, with what shall I come before the Lord? You know, with what, what how do I respond to the fact that, that we have been rebellious against the, the perfect husband who has kept his covenant right from the beginning all the way to this moment? 
How do, you, how, how do we respond with that? Um, do, we, do we bow? Do we, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? And like I said last week, it keeps increasing. Burnt offerings with calves a year old increases. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They're just like, what do you do when you realize that, that he has been holy and perfect and you are the problem? And he's saying, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. Come back to me. How, how do you come back to him? What's the, what's the response? What does it look like? How do we, in light of all that, what do we do? And he says, verse 8, he's told you what's good. What does he require? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with him. That's, that's how we respond to it. He doesn't enter, enter into this whole like thing where he's like, okay, well, you got to do like 75 good deeds and you got to prove this and this and this and then with this and then, then we'll kind of see and there's not all these steps and all the stuff you have to go through and get approved by all this. He's like, you want to respond? You want to you like do Then keep your end of the covenant. Bring justice into the world where there's injustice. I've given you the, the ministry, the message of reconciliation, that people can be set right again with God. Take that to the streets. You see injustice, you act on it. And not only do you, do you step in and you, you do what you can to, to end it there, but, you, but also relationally you, you get restored. And you talk to the people who are involved and you help them realize that we're all the same. You, you bring justice and Talked about last week and how the, how the acting and then restoring the relationships and how those two feed each other and it brings about this cultural change and that's what God's saying. He's like, I want my people to be the ones to go where there's injustice and to make a difference. That's how you respond to Easter. That's how you respond to the fact that he's the covenant keeper. That's how you respond. E- even if you've been rebellious up until that moment, there isn't a lag time between disobedience and obedience. There isn't this like weird no man's land that you kind of have to go through before you start to, o- to obey. He's like, no, like today, right now, this very moment, justice, love, kindness, bring, has said that's, that's the response that's what he wants. And so, what God wants when he says this is what he requires is to love kindness has said toward God and toward others. Which sounds a whole lot like commandment one and commandment two. That's what he wants. What do, you, what do we do? Well, you just love him. You realize that he's loved you with steadfast love. And you love him in return with steadfast love. That's, that's what we do. So you take said. what does it look like? Okay. Toward God, I think the, the first thing that we do, if you're like, I don't really understand how to love God. I think that's a, I think that's a legit thing when God's like, Jesus says this is the most important thing in all of life is that you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, yes, that sounds awesome. I have no idea what that really means, but it sounds really great. I think it's a struggle. I mean, you you know how to love your family, you know how to love your spouse, you know how to love your, your parents, you know how to love your kids, you know how to love your pets. You know, like that's easy. 
how do you love God? How do you love, he's, you know, like, how does, how does that even work? Well, I think the first thing that we do is we realize that, that he's, he's the husband, we're the bride, right? He's the husband, we're the wife. And so what does the wife do? The wife receives the love of the husband, right? Receives that hesed. We, we first have to receive his kindness and his agape love that puts us like ahead of himself. And we have to receive that loyalty. We have to receive the fact that he never, he's never messed up as a husband one time and we've been the wife that's just totally rebellious and like whatever. We have to receive the fact that he's the loyal, perfect one. We have to receive his mercy. The fact that when we were hurting and when we were in a situation we couldn't change, that he reached into that and fixed it. And so I think there's so much, so much goodness for us in, in finding ways to just stop and go over the gospel, you know. Sometimes to just think about maybe, maybe songs that we've sung so many times. You're like, then like you just maybe maybe sometimes you don't sing it. Maybe you just look at the words sometimes, or maybe you always look at the words. Maybe you need to sing it. I think we 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 receive that from him. We let him love us, and that there's so many people that struggle with that. I know I struggle with it too. Just letting God love you, letting Him love you well, letting Him dote on you, not in a weirdo way, you know? Like, seriously, like, He really, like, He digs you. And that shouldn't be weird to us. But I think there are people who, uh, you ever, this may not make sense, but you ever know someone, and, like, who's, and they're, like, I don't know, they're, they're just kind of one of these people where, like, if, if they're, like, upset about something, you go to, like, like, touch them on the shoulder, and they kind of shrug you off. I think there are, are times when, when we do that with the Lord, you know. When he's, he's tending to us in that Psalm 23 way, and we're like, no, I don't want that. Leave me alone. I know better. I just want to be sad. And he's a, I think he's like, okay, you want to be sad? Be sad. Sometimes we're facing things and they are. They're sad. He's, I think he's okay with that. He's not trying to say, shut, you know, sh- shut your crying up right now. You know? He's not fussing at you. I think there are times when, when he, really, he really does like, work to let us know that he's near and good. And, I, and so I think we receive that and then we reciprocate that too. You know? I think that there is, there is kindness from us to the Lord. I think that there's definitely agape love toward him where we love him in return um, and there is loyalty there and there you know there isn't you know I don't know if there's mercy in the sense that I don't think God's ever like in misery or distress <laughs> but I think that just really transfers to when we take care of other people because much like when like on earth whenever you um, if you uh, if you care for, minister to, whatever, someone's kids, 
to a parent, that's uh, it's just like you're you're caring for them too. I mean, there's just there's that bond, and uh, and I heard that off and on over the years, especially when I was a college minister. And you, these parents just thank you for loving their kid, and they're almost like emotional, you know. And you're like, I I had coffee with them once, you know, and they're like, I know it was so meaningful, you know, and and that's that parent kid bond. And so when Jesus says, yeah, whenever you take care of somebody else, it's just like it's just like you do it to me. That's what he's saying. He's saying when we love him, we also love what he loves, which is everybody. And so the ways that we love God, I mean, there's, there's trust and there's obedience and there's time spent there, you know, and there's prayer and there's abiding and there's joy and there's connecting to the things that he is invested in, which would be justice and it would be uh, people who are hurting and it would be the gospel and, uh, you know, every, every tribe, every tongue, like everybody knows, you know, saving knowledge of him, those kinds of things. Um, so how do we love God? It's, it's that kind of stuff. I think we receive it, and then we, we reciprocate that. And tied right to that is how do we love, is, is like loving other people. It's commandment one, there's not this vast distance between commandment one and commandment two. Uh, there, when, you, when commandment one is happening, you naturally, like commandment two comes right away. When you love God, you naturally love people. You see that with, in human relationships all the time, you know, where... Uh, you know, some some couple starts dating and they like get engaged and married or whatever. And at some point along the way, uh, they begin to be to be like interested in the things that the other one is interested in without even like you know realizing it. Like so many married men I know watch dancing show competitions, <laughs> and it's begrudgingly at first, and then they have a real opinion, and then sometimes you can catch them in conversation <laughs> saying, "I can't believe so and so got cut," you know, and you're like, "What?" And wives, that's because he loves you. Like he, he's, he's interested in something that's interesting to you. And I think that's really cool. Like I think that that's like a, one of those cool things that happens. Not dancing shows are cool, but, you know, that, I, think that, I think that's just this really, really cool deal. And so it's just natural that when, when we are, are letting God love us and we, re, we realize the said that he has for us and we're reciprocating that, we start to realize, like, man, his heartbeat is for people to know him. And that's why when I, when I care for someone else, man, it moves him deeply. Almost, like, as, just as though I had done it for him. Like, to him, directly. And so the more we love God, and more we are loved by God, and, and that is fanned into flame, it just naturally turns into something where we're caring for people. And so justice is not something we have to like muster up or figure out. It comes very naturally when we see something, when we find out about something, we're like, I've got to do something about that. <coughs> so what about loving kindness? Go to Matthew chapter 9. Um, there's this really cool stretch of stories that I think, I think helps, helps us see a little bit of what has said toward others kind of looks like in the life of Jesus and then what it can be for us. So just as a point of review, has said toward God, we keep the covenant. The covenant, you know, the, to summarize the covenant, God says, um, 
He says, you will be my people, I will be your God. So how do we love him? We let that happen. We let him be our God. And everything that he brings to the table, we receive that. And then we are his people who reciprocate that to him. In that union and that bond we have with him, and his interests become our interests. And that spills into said for others. And we see this in the life of Jesus. And I really think it's, uh, I think it's just very clear. So this is a, couple, a string of stories that I think may cast some light on it. Let's, let's read this. Starting in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Okay? Um, So, you don't touch a dead body and be Jewish. Like, you don't. It makes you uh, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And so you could not worship and you couldn't do certain things until you went through this purification deal. And it's, it's a really, really big, big, big problem. And so this guy's come in. He's grieving. He's hurting. He's in distress. He's asking Jesus to come and just lay his hand on the body of his daughter who has died. He's asking Jesus to become ceremonially, ceremonially can't say it, unclean on purpose. So if we're looking for hesed, if we're looking for kindness, love, uh, loyalty, and mercy, he's set up for it. Uh, Verse 19, Jesus rose, followed him with his disciples. So Jesus, I guess, is saying, okay, let's go. Um, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Okay? There's another problem. <clears throat> when, when you read in the Bible, uh, anytime it says, uh, like, it brings up leprosy. Okay? I know we talked about the, the cleansing of the ten lepers in community groups uh, over the last couple weeks. Um, our modern day leprosy, uh, it, it's probably not that. Leprosy was, was a general term for a number of different issues, all like related to uh, like the skin and like whatever. And so there's just this whole set of, of rules to where, um, without, without being too graphic, if there was just anything unnatural, uh, if there's anything like that happening, you were unclean. And so again, you're kind of put outside the camp and the priests and different people had to like... Uh, examine you and all this kind of stuff to see if you would be allowed back in uh, because there's this physical purity that, that had to happen and stuff. So if you, um, if you fell down and you had a strawberry, you know, or whatever, on your, like, arm and it was kind of oozing something, then you would, they would be like leprosy in the Bible. So it's not always what we know as leprosy. Sometimes it's even something like that. But even something like that, they would say, Okay, you need to get outside of the, of the camp until the priest is able to look and see if this is you know, something serious or not. Now, a problem would be if you were unclean and someone came into any sort of contact with you, then uh, 
then you were like unclean as well. Like it like transferred somehow or whatever, even, even to garments. And so for this woman uh, who had been bleeding for all these years, like she was unclean. That would have been something where she would not be allowed there. And she gets in there and she wants to touch his garment, which means that she's going to make him unclean. But she's like, I could be healed if I just touch his garment. So tons of faith on her part, but also kind of inconsiderate because she's like, you know, whatever. Um, and so like this is this is not like a this is a big deal what happens. And so Jesus, verse 22, he turned to her. Seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. See any said in that story? Okay. Um, and when Jesus came, um, came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd, I like that, flautists everywhere, okay. uh, <laughs> saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, okay, this would be their mourning, okay, um, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping, and they laughed at him. Uh, of course. And so, verse uh, 25, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, the dead girl, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. Okay? Any has said in there? Any kindness or agape love that puts someone else first? Or loyalty? Or mercy? Okay. All right. Verse 27, Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. One of the things about mercy, that like when, when you see it in the Bible, people are they're like, they're, they're begging for, for God to reach into their pain. Like they're crying out to it. Someone who is in distress, like if it's a true like mercy situation, man, they are, they're, they're going public with it. Like it's, it's, it's a bad Bad deal. And so they're crying out to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. Now remember, um, we talked about this before. In this day, if, if you were blind, then you were cursed by God. He was mad at you. That's, that was their thinking, which is not true. But that was their thinking. Um, so for him to touch them... It was a really big deal. So he touched the dead body. He let the woman who had been bleeding touch his garment. And now he's touching these men who are blind. Jesus was not afraid of these things. Hesed is not afraid of the stuff that people are going through, the stuff that people are struggling with. If you want to love other people well, you can't, you can't be afraid of that stuff. You can't. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter to Jesus. It shouldn't matter to us. So he touched them. Verse 29. Touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. Okay. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. The Pharisees said he would cast out demons by the prince of demons. So he just cast out a demon. They don't even go into detail. It's like, yeah, when the demon was cast out, you know, whatever. I was like, I want to know what he said. They don't tell us that. 
Just that Jesus wasn't afraid of a little demonic activity. Here's where it kind of wraps up. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying in my kingdom, people... People get mercy, and people get kindness, and people get the loyalty of God, and people get the agape love of God, and he displayed that. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He's looking at this crowd of people, and he's moved with compassion for them. That's how sad. Man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They, don't, they have no guidance. They have no caregiver. He was moved deeply by this. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, and then he names them. I'm going to skip that for the sake of time. Look at verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? There's some loyalty there. And it's, Jesus is not, it's not indicating that he doesn't like Samaritans or Gentiles or whatever. He's, he's saying... I know what I'm here to do. Salvation comes first to the house of Israel, and then from there it goes out to the world. That's loyalty to the Lord and to the vision that he has. Loyalty to those who he's in. He's not in covenant with Samaritans. He's not in covenant with the Gentiles. He's in covenant with Israel. There's loyalty there. And so he he narrows their focus in this particular time, sending them out. Um, Verse 7, he says, And proclaim as you go, saying... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. In order, okay, in order to find the sick and the dead and the lepers and the oppressed, you know what? You've got to go find them. It says, go find the people that are hurting and do something about it. That's, that's has said. Very related to justice, but a little bit different too. With justice, with injustice, people are pushed to the margins and they're taken advantage of and they're vulnerable. For mercy, we're all susceptible to that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We see the love and the kindness and the loyalty and the mercy of Jesus. And then he says, you received without paying, give without pay." He says, this, what you have received, he's telling these disciples, what you received, you didn't earn this. You didn't buy this. The sal- gift of salvation was, was freely given to you. Now you freely give it to everybody else. We see it going from, from that vertical has said, God has loved you like this and you have loved him in return. And now it turns to your fellow man. And I think, I think for us to, to think in those concentric circles like last week, where, where relationally, like your relationship with God is at the center 
and you move out to your, to your family, to your, to your parents, siblings, to your spouse, to your kids, whatever, and then to those you're in contact with the most, like your coworkers and neighbors and the people most steady in your life, and then maybe your community group and your church folks, and then like into the, the city and the, the state and the nation and the world, and, and it works out from there. For us to be able to look and say, I want said. I want people to stand up at my funeral and say, I know exactly what said looks like in a horizontal sense because that guy or that girl, they, they did it every single day of their lives. But it starts with God and it starts with us understanding how he has loved us. And we love him in return. And it goes out from there. That's how we respond to Easter. We just we love him. We let him love us. We love him back. And we love what he loves, which is people. It's such a simple, simple message, such a fundamental thing. In a day when people like to argue about all kind of theological things and social issues and all this kind of stuff, and be like, uh, I just need to get, I need to get this right before I can really have that debate. I think God's like, yeah, let's work on that. Let's work on his said. That'd be great. So I don't know where it fits in to your life. Jesus does. Uh, let me pray for us. <coughs> Lord, you have loved us with a, a love that does not fail. It never comes up short or misses any details about our lives. And God, I'm grateful that, that you have been the perfect husband to us. And although I, we certainly struggle with, with keeping the covenant, God, I'm grateful that you will never break it. And that in your grace and in your goodness to us, that you're always... Um, ready to move us ahead. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to understand your said for us and that we would mature and grow in our ability to re- just to receive that deeply and to return that, to reciprocate that in the ways that we are able and the ways that we are designed to. And God, that from there, we would just we just continue to do a better and better job of taking care of our families and and those that we work with and um, and those that we come in contact with just through living daily life. God, that that we would be the kind of people who who are constantly demonstrating your kindness and love and loyalty and mercy as we go. We can't muster this up. We just we need your help. So we ask that you help us. And pray this in your name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing two songs that kind of do this very thing. The first one is about His has said for us. The first one is very vertical. The second one is very horizontal. And uh, I think having songs that are, that are focused in that way Maybe that'll help line some good things up in our minds and in our hearts.
And so uh, that's going to be our response tonight or whatever. So let's stand and uh, sing these together.